0: Hello. Welcome to Madison Public Library in Madison, Ohio's Theater of the Mind Halloween Edition. Tonight we will conclude William Wilson by Edgar Allan Poe. To hear more stories, like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Last night, we left off with a narrator describing how a stranger had entered their room. And now we return to the final part of William Wilson by edgar ellen poe Gentlemen, he said in a low distinct and never to be forgotten whisper which thrilled to the very marrow of my bones gentlemen i make no apology for this behavior because in thus behaving i am but fulfilling a duty you are Beyond doubt, uninformed of the true character of the person who has tonight won at a cart a large sum of money from Lord Glendinning, I will therefore put you upon an expeditious and decisive plan of obtaining this very necessary information. Please to examine, at your leisure, the inner linings of the cuff of his left sleeve, and the several little packages which may be found in the somewhat capacious pockets of his embroidered morning wrapper. While he spoke, so profound was the stillness that one might have heard a pin drop upon the floor. In ceasing, he departed at once and as abruptly as he had entered. Can I, shall I, describe my sensations? Must I say that I felt all the horrors of the damned? Most assuredly, I had little time given for reflection. Many hands roughly seized me upon the spot, and lights were immediately reprocured. A search ensued in the lining of my sleeves were found all the court cards essential in a cart and in the pockets of my wrapper a number of packs facsimiles of those used at our sittings with the single exception that mine were of the species called technically erundis, the honors being slightly convex at the ends the lower cards slightly convex at the sides in this disposition the dupe who cuts as customary, at the length of the pack, will invariably find that he cuts his antagonist in honor, while the gambler, cutting at breath, will as certainly cut nothing for his victim which may count in the records of the game. Any burst of indignation upon this discovery would have affected me less than the silent contempt or the sarcastic composure with which it was received. Mr. Wilson said our host, stooping to remove from beneath his feet an exceedingly luxurious cloak of rare furs. Mr. Wilson, this is your property. The weather was cold, and upon quitting my own room, I had thrown a cloak over my dressing wrapper, putting it off upon reaching the scene of play. I presume it is supererogatory to seek here, eyeing the folds of the garment with a bitter smile for any farther evidence of your skill indeed we have had enough you will see the necessity i hope of quitting oxford at all events of quitting instantly my chambers abased humbled to the dust as i then was it is probable that I should have resented this galling language by immediate personal violence had not my whole attention been at the moment arrested by a fact of the most startling character. The cloak which I had worn was of a rare description of fur, how rare, how extravagantly costly, I shall not venture to say. Its fashion, too, was of my own fantastic invention, for I was fastidious to an absurd degree of coxcombry in matters of this frivolous nature. When, therefore, Mr. Preston reached me that which he had picked up upon the floor, and near the folding doors of the apartment, it was with an astonishment, nearly boarding upon terror, that I perceived my own already hanging on my arm, where I had no doubt unwittingly placed it and that the one presented me was but its exact counterpart in every, in even the minutest possible particular. The singular being who had so disastrously exposed me had been muffled, I remembered, in a cloak, and none had been worn at all by any of the members of our party with the exception of myself. Retaining some presence of mine, I took the one offered me by Preston, placed it, unnoticed, over my own. Left the apartment with a resolute scowl of defiance, and next morning ere dawn of day commenced a hurried journey from Oxford to the continent, in a perfect agony of horror and of shame. I fled in vain. My evil destiny pursued me as if in exultation, and proved indeed that the exercise of its mysterious dominion had as yet only begun scarcely had i set foot in paris ere i had fresh evidence of the detestable interest taken by this wilson in my concerns years flew while i experienced no relief villain at rome with how untimely yet with how spectral and officiousness stepped he in between me and my ambition at vienna too at berlin and at moscow where in truth had i not bitter cause to curse him within my heart From his inscrutable tyranny did I at length flee, panic-stricken, as from a pestilence, and to the very ends of the earth I fled in vain. And again, and again, in secret communion with my own spirit, would I demand the question, Who is he? Whence came he, and what are his objects? But no answer was there found and then I scrutinized, within a minute scrutiny, the forms, and the methods, and the leading traits of his impertinent supervision. But even here there was very little upon which to base a conjecture. It was noticeable, indeed, that in no one of the multiplied instances in which he had of late crossed my path had he so crossed it except to frustrate those schemes, or to disturb those actions, which, if fully carried out, might have resulted in bitter mischief. Poor justification, this, in truth, for an authority so imperiously assumed, or indemnity for natural rights of self agency so pertinaciously, so insultingly denied. I had also been forced to notice that my tormentor, for a very long period of time, while scrupulously and with miraculous dexterity maintaining his whim of identity of apparel with myself, had so contrived it, in the execution of his varied interference with my will, that I saw not, at any moment, the features of his face. Be Wilson what he might, this, at least, was but the veriest of affection or of folly. Could he, For an instant have supposed that, in my monastery at Eton, in the destroyer of my honor at Oxford, in him who thwarted my ambition at Rome, my revenge at Paris, my passionate love at Naples, or what he falsely termed my avarice in Egypt, that in this my arch-enemy and evil genius could fall to recognize the William Wilson of my schoolboy days, the namesake, the companion, the rival the hated and dreaded rival at Dr. Bransby's? Impossible. But let me hasten to the last eventful scene of the drama. Thus far I had succumbed supinely to this imperious domination. The sentiment of deep awe with which I habitually regarded the elevated character, the majestic wisdom, the apparent omnipresence and omnipotence of Wilson added to a feeling of even terror with which certain other traits in his nature and assumptions inspired me, had operated, hitherto to impress me with an idea of my own utter weakness and helplessness, and to suggest an implicit, although bitterly reluctant, submission to his arbitrary will. But, of late days, I had given myself up entirely to wine, and its maddening influence upon my hereditary temper rendered me more and more impatient of control. I began to murmur to hesitate, to resist. And was it only fancy which induced me to believe that, with an increase of my own firmness, that of my tormentor underwent a proportional diminution? Be this as it may, I now began to feel the inspiration of a burning hope, and at length nurtured in my secret thoughts a stern and desperate resolution that I would submit no longer to be enslaved. It was Rome. During the carnival of eighteen, that i attended a masquerade in the palazzo of the neapolitan duke di broglio i had indulged more freely than usual in the excesses of the wine table now the suffocating atmosphere of the crowded rooms irritated me beyond endurance the difficulty too of my forcing my way through the mazes of the company contributed not a little to the ruffling of my temper for i was anxiously seeking let me not say with what unworthy motive the young the gay, the beautiful wife of the aged and doting De Broglio. With the too unscrupulous confidence she had previously communicated to me the secret of the costume in which she would be habited, and now, having caught a glimpse of her person, I was hurrying to make my way into her presence. At this moment I felt a light hand upon my shoulder, and that ever-remembered, low, damnable whisper in my ear. In an absolute frenzy of wrath, I turned at once upon him who had thus interrupted me and seized him violently by the tile collar. He was attired, as I had expected, in a costume altogether similar to my own, wearing a Spanish cloak of blue velvet, begirth about the waist with a crimson belt sustaining a rapier. A black mask of silk entirely covered his face. Scoundrel! I said in a voice husky with rage while every syllable I uttered seemed as new feel to my fury scoundrel impostor accursed villain you shall not you shall not dog me unto death follow me i stab you where you stand and i broke my way from the ballroom into the small antechamber adjoining dragging him unresistantly with me as i went upon entering i thrust him furiously from me he staggered against the wall while i closed the door with an oath and commanded him to draw he hesitated but for an instant with a slight sigh drew in silence and put himself upon his defense the contest was brief indeed. I was frantic with every species of wild excitement and felt within my single arm the energy and power of a multitude. In a few seconds I forced him by sheer strength against the wainscoting and thus getting him at mercy. Plunged my sword, with brute ferocity, repeatedly through and through his bosom. at that instant some person tried the latch of the door. I hastened to prevent an intrusion and then immediately returned to my dying antagonist but what human language can adequately portray the astonishment, that horror which possessed me at the spectacle that presented to view? The brief moment in which I averted my eyes had been sufficient to produce, apparently, a material change in the arrangements at the upper or farther end of the room. A large mirror, so at first it seemed to me in my confusion, now stood where none had been perceptible before. And, as I stepped up to it in extremity of terror, mine own image— but with features all pale and dabbled in blood advanced to meet me with a feeble and tottering gait thus it appeared i say but was not it was my antagonist it was wilson who then stood before me in the agonies of his dissolution his mask and cloak lay we had thrown them upon the floor not a thread in all his raiment, not a line in all the marked and singular lineaments of his face which was not, even in the most absolute identity, mine own. It was Wilson. But he spoke no longer in a whisper, and I could have fancied that I myself was speaking while he said, You have conquered, and I yield. Yet henceforth art thou also dead, dead to the world, to heaven, and to hope. In me didst thou exist, and in my death, see by this image, which is thine own, how utterly thou hast murdered thyself." And thus concludes our story. Don't forget to like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Have you looked at your reflection lately?